Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis. Today's show features an interview I had on WGN Radio in Chicago on the 29th of December, 2009. The interview was on the Gary Meyer Show, guest hosted by Mr. Bill Leff. We discussed several issues associated with the recent attempted bombing of Northwest Flight 253, including the effectiveness of profiling passengers and the effectiveness of some of the security measures instituted shortly after the attempt. All right, on Christmas Day, as you all know by now, uh, we had an incident in the air, a Detroit-bound plane. Uh, The story has been all over the headlines the last couple of days. And hopefully, to help us make sense of this, it's uh, Dr. Todd Curtis, who is the proprietor of airsafe.com. Hello, Todd. How are you? Oh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. I have a million questions revolving around what happened on Christmas Day and the aftermath of it. But the most basic question is, is this. How did this guy pull this off with, with all the security that's been in place since September 11th of 2001? How in the world was he able to do what he did? He pulled it off because security isn't perfect. It's not perfect in its execution, and the more the information comes out, the more it seems as though there were opportunities to catch this person that were simply missed. And also, any reasonable person who really is intent on doing evil, if they sit down and look at the system, test the system, they will find weaknesses. Now, we thought, dating back to 2001, when all this happened, and, and you know there were so many things happening at one time, and it was so hard to process... But for so long, we really expected possibly that that would be those blasts, that uh, those altercations would be the first of many, and we've been okay. We really have for the last uh, eight or nine years. Um, why all of a sudden was, was there a breach in security? Why did this come up again? Well, I think it happened because the risk has been there. In fact, before 9-11, there were, there were risks out there, people deliberately going on aircraft and destroying them, sometimes with them on board. It's happened before in the United States. Uh, One issue I can think of in 87, a disgruntled employee hijacked an airliner, shot both pilots, and everyone ended up uh, dying on that aircraft. So it's not just the Middle East, it's not just Al-Qaeda. This has been a risk that's been going on for decades. Uh, Give me your take, Todd, on profiling. I mean, it's really weird because I think most of us like to feel that we don't want to blame any specific group. I mean, that, that's just our nature for the most part. And yet, when you look at who has perpetrated these things over the years, you think to yourself, as much as against profiling as I could be, this might be the one time that maybe it's okay. And I know that's a weird way to feel, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, some kinds of profiling when it comes to actual behavior and actual activity is a much more appropriate kind of profiling. Uh, take the person who's alleged to have put the bomb in his underpants on this, this flight last week. Uh, he purchased, a, apparently, a one-way ticket with cash. He had no luggage, no carry-on. And I'm not a TSA screener. I'm not a security expert at an airport, but that seems awfully suspicious to me. How come you're still saying alleged, by the way? Well, he hasn't been convicted of any crime, so until uh, that happens, I will uh, treat him like any other accused criminal. Um, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Uh, all right. Now, this is the part that disturbs me the most about what went down on Christmas Day, and I'd, I'd love to hear your comments on it. Uh, his father came out and said that he himself, his father, the man who did this, warned the airlines that his son was a loose cannon, that there was trouble ahead with his son. Number one, do you know who exactly he led? Was it the FAA? Who, who did he talk to? Do we know yet? Well, from what I understand, he went to uh, U.S. Uh, officials at the embassy in, in Nigeria, if I'm, if I'm uh, clear on the details the media is coming out with. So that says to me that there was an official unit of the U.S. government 
who was clearly aware that there was a problem. Also, the same month that he went to the embassy, his son's name was put on the uh, lowest level of the terrorist list that the U.S. government has, which has about a half million individuals in it. A half a million? Half a million. And these are people who have suspected terrorist ties, no specific information to go any further than that. And this is an ongoing list that's been actually a much better list than it used to be. Uh, post 9-11, a lot of separate government lists were consolidated into this one list, which has the acronym TIDE, uh, which is the one which the TSA uses to get its no-fly list and its selectee list. Uh, and without going into great detail, the selectee list, if you're on that list, anytime you try to fly, you'll be taken aside for additional screening and additional questions. If you're on the no-fly list, automatically you're not going to be let on an airplane. So normally when somebody goes to make a reservation at an airline, and I know that you know the specifics are different in different parts of the world, but is it flagged immediately when your name comes up? Is it automatic that they just, because they have this half million name list, is there automatically something that alerts them to the fact that they have to keep an eye on him or her? Well, the list is a U.S. government list. It's used for uh, purposes, TSA and other U.S. government units. Uh, if an airline were to make a reservation, they would not necessarily have access to this list. And to my knowledge, the airlines during the reservations process don't automatically screen uh, using this database. At some other point of the system, it is screened, though. Todd, this list is all well and good, but you and I both know this. If somebody wants to do this, the first thing they're going to do is get themselves a false identity, right? Not necessarily. Uh, if you have a common name, let's say, uh, John Smith, or the equivalent for whatever country you're from, there could be dozens or even hundreds of people with the same name, and it, it, it may cause extra scrutiny for all of them but it may be common enough where they can skate right by on it. Um, the particular uh, man on uh, Christmas, Abdul Motolab, uh, he doesn't exactly fit the profile, does he? And I know it's weird to say that there is a profile, but there is a profile, and this guy just doesn't seem to fit it, right? Well, in fact, some of the folks from the 9-11 event, they were also from fairly prominent families, fairly well-off families. They were not the uh, poor, hard scrabble, uh, never had a break in life sort of person we associate with uh, fanatical bombers. But still, this was a person who had, for whatever reason, uh, apparently some radicalized thoughts about what to do about the situation in the world. Talk about that, though. A guy who uh, he's brought up in a, in a fairly well-to-do household. He's educated abroad and, and well-educated. I mean, I was looking into what he was studying and stuff, and this was not a, a dumb guy. This was a guy that really kind of knew his stuff. So what appeal is there for a guy like this who seems to have the world at his fingertips? Why would he turn like this? What do you think? Well, we don't have to look uh, far afield to uh, overseas or to another uh, an unfamiliar religion. I, I believe all of us have experiences with people who, for whatever reason, uh, they become so in love with a particular train of thought or a particular religion or particular social point of view that you say to yourself, well, gosh, why is this person becoming a radical? Why is this person joining uh, a group that's uh, distasteful when he has all these opportunities in the world? And I'm no psychologist, mm -hmm. but the reasons people do that are as varied as people themselves. Um, if you're just tuning in, by the way, it's Dr. Todd Curtis. He's a Ph.D. He's the proprietor of airsafe.com. Uh, Todd, in the last couple of days since this has happened on Christmas Day, they've, uh, they've changed the rules more than once as to their screening procedures. Talk a little bit about that, about what they changed and, and how it changed uh, a second and third time since. Well, as you mentioned, it's a fluid sort of thing. There are a lot of changes happening in, in the short term, and they may not be permanent changes. For example, shortly thereafter, I'm sure a lot of uh, your listeners heard about how 
on some international flights, people weren't going to be allowed to get out of their seats in the last hour of flight. You couldn't have anything in your lap. And then I was reading another uh, government uh, announcement where they said, well, these sorts of things will be in effect until the 30th of December. Things such as on some flights you might be subject to a pat-down search. And this is the strange part. They could pat down in the torso area or the upper thigh area but obviously not in the underwear area, Mm -hmm. which turns out, allegedly, that's where this uh, bomber had his uh, explosives. And again, this is a situation where there are some measures being made, and perhaps they're legitimate. Perhaps this was a person who was not acting alone, and maybe there are several people with the same profile out there right now. Perhaps there are copycats out there who are trying to do the same thing and don't do a lot of planning and may be easily caught. But as far as a long-term solution, a lot of these short-term events may be problematic. Uh, Just going back to the shoe bomber, Richard Reed, obviously since then, taking off shoes has become a very regular occurrence. But I seriously doubt that the TSA or any government organization anywhere in the world will require passengers to take off their underwear. Yeah. Do you find it ludicrous for them to say anything that we're going to do this, whatever it is, until December 30th? When, whenever they say that, don't you think to yourself, if I'm planning something and I hear, oh, they're going to do this till December 30th, I go, you know what, then? I'll do whatever I want to do on January 2nd. It's, uh, well, that, that's a sensible thing to, to think. But on the other hand, as I was saying before, one of the things that may be out there is uh, the possibility of several people with the same MO operating in the next couple of days. Or perhaps copycats who will be excited to do it in the next couple of days may uh, be less excited next week when this is out of the news. Again, I'm not going to try and decipher the logic coming out of the government when it comes to the security changes they're doing. I'm just hoping, I'm praying that uh, what they're doing is sensible and it's based on actionable intelligence and not just reaction to look good in the press. When a terrorist group tries something uh, that doesn't completely succeed, as this one did not succeed, Christmas Day. What does this do to their psyche? Does this make them want to act quickly and say, all right, we messed up one time, but look, we, we still have the power to make it work a couple days later? Or do they replan and re-strategize? What is their mindset? Well, it's difficult or impossible for even the experts in this arena, and believe me, I'm no expert in the mentality of terrorist organizations. But one of the things that stands out is that while this may have been a part of an effort of an organized group, it's not really clear who this group is, whether it's a group of two or 200 or 2,000. Uh, if we're dealing with an organization that's been around for generations, it's easy to make generalizations about how the organization may behave after a success or, or failure. But when we're dealing with al-Qaeda, or allegedly al-Qaeda, and a splinter group thereof, it's very difficult or impossible to figure out how that particular group will respond. Can you hold on for a couple of minutes, Dr. Curtis, because there's, there's more questions, and I certainly invite anyone listening to join in, 591-7200, give us a call. We'll take a quick break, and then uh, more with Dr. Todd Curtis, who is the proprietor of airsafe.com when we return. All right, Bill Leff in for Gary Meyer today, and uh, we were talking about airline safety uh, in light of what happened uh, on Christmas Day. And Todd Curtis, Dr. Todd Curtis is with us. He is the proprietor of airsafe.com. Dr. Curtis, um, we don't have a whole lot of time, but I remember on September 11th, after September 11th, you had a lot of uh, agencies blaming each other and saying that one of the problems in all of this was that the agencies just were not cooperating, that they weren't sharing information, and that the information that was being shared wasn't enough to stop what needed to be stopped. How has that changed uh, in the years that have followed? 
Well, in some respects, it's, got, it, it's gotten better. The uh, terrorist database I talked about earlier is actually a compilation of what used to be separate databases, so they're more effective there. But what appears to be a situation that's happening in this case is that you had one part of the government, the State Department, getting what seems to be decent intelligence on someone, passing it on to another department, which did put the band's name in the database. But a reasonable step that could have been taken, for example, rescinding his visa to the U.S., at least until things were cleared up, wasn't taken. So it says to me that although some parts of the system are working well, there are other things that could have been reasonably done that weren't done. And perhaps this is an opportunity for the government to sit down and see how the system didn't work and to make it better. We, uh, we got word in the paper today that the Yemen government was investigating uh, this guy at the time of uh, the near explosion. Do they share, does Yemen then, when they're e examining uh, somebody and the potential for they have, do they, do they send that information on to the United States or do they keep that private? How does that play out? It's unclear to me how it works when it comes to government-to-government -government cooperation like this. But uh, I'm also sure that uh, when all this is said and done, that the public is not going to know those details because this is clearly something that gets into uh, national security issues and intelligence issues, and that's something that's going to be uh, in the halls of Congress in front of C-SPAN. Um, I only have a minute for this, and I know that this is a question that warrants more time, but we just found out again in the news today that at O'Hare Airport they're going to start with these full body scans that they've been looking at for, I think, three or four years now. They're finally going to implement that. Is that going to be the problem solver right there, the full body scan, or is there still going to be ways if somebody wants to get something on a plane that they could? Well, the full body scan devices, if they work, work very effectively. The only issue, two issues with it, is the expense, for one, and more importantly, the time it takes to scan someone. Well, there's a third one, and that is that some travelers don't want other people to see them naked. There's that one, too. Well, that, that could probably be gotten around if you have a qualified person perhaps a law enforcement person, someone beyond a TSA person who's actually authorized to see the full scan. Right. But unless it's something quicker than a magnetometer, the standard metal detector that everyone goes through, unless it's something that's that quick for everyone, it's going to be real difficult to implement this universally throughout every airport. Sure. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Curtis. Todd Curtis, Ph.D., the proprietor of airsafe.com. Uh, thank you for helping out today. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. The investigation into this recent attempted bombing is still ongoing. For more information, please visit airsafe.com and airsafenews.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.